The other piece too that stands out, I've kind of spoken a lot about what happens while treatment is happening, but there's a whole world of after because as much as I, I mean, I would argue in some ways we haven't advanced too much in terms of our cancer treatments in the conventional world, but there have been a lot of advancements and there are a lot of different specific types of cancers where people are surviving longer than they ever had in the past 20 years. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 252, holy smokes, of the Anthropology Podcast. I am Dr. Megan Walker, and we are hanging out at the intersection of your health, your mindset, and entrepreneurship. And today, I am really excited to be joined Uh, by a very good friend of mine, Dr. Megan Valero. And uh, Dr. Valero is one of the preeminent naturopathic doctors in Canada focusing on uh, cancer. And she is incredibly credentialed and experienced at what she does. She shares with us in this episode her own personal story that has driven her to passionately explore and provide incredible integrative cancer care. Um, and she shares with us what it really means to to have an integrative team uh, when it comes to addressing cancer. You know, as we talked about a few weeks ago with Dr. Lori Bouchard. Uh, cancer is going to affect all of us. All of us will be implicated and, um, and impacted by it uh, in our lives. Uh, one in two of us will be diagnosed with cancer in our lifetime. So this isn't something that happens to somebody else. This is something that is going to happen to all of us in some capacity, either personally or, or someone who's very close to us. And having an understanding of, of what is possible uh, from an integrative approach is something I believe that we all deserve to know. And I can't think of anyone better to drive that conversation uh, than my friend, Dr. Valero. And I'm super excited for you to meet her now. Dr. Megan Valero, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Megan. This is so great. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased to have you here as a guest. I've wanted to have this conversation with you for so long because you are, you are an incredible practitioner. You are top of your game, uh, certainly in, in Canada for working with uh, cancer in an integrative capacity. Uh, you have this amazing TED Talk where you share your own journey. Like I really, when we're talking about this notion of integrative oncology, you are the person that I want to talk to on that subject. And so I'm wondering before we get into that piece and we really start to blow this conversation apart in a positive way, can you share with everybody your story, your journey, why this is why this is the avenue of naturopathic medicine that you are are pursuing and why it's so personally important. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it kind of came earlier in, in life. I, I was 18 when my mother passed away from, from stomach cancer. She um, was diagnosed very suddenly. It was one of those situations where it was kind of too little too late. She was diagnosed way too late. By the time treatment started, it was way too late. It was just not a very hopeful situation. 
And I mean, I was only 18. So I didn't, I actually didn't know naturopathic medicine existed back then. I don't think we even had one in my community. So it was something that kind of came onto my radar later um, in life. But at the time, that what was the most frustrating besides, I mean, having this kind of a diagnosis for someone who's so important to you in your life, it was just the fact that when we asked, you know, if there, is there anything else that can be done? It was, the answer was always a resounding no. It was just, there, it was almost um, even some judgment as to like, well, why would you even ask that? Like, no, there's nothing. And that was 20 years ago. And the answer is still the same oftentimes in many, many centers. There's, you know, some oncologists that are a bit more open to working together. But in terms of looking outside of what's part of conventional care, there's still not much in terms of what's offered there. And so that's really where the interest was, where where it began in terms of there's got to be something else. And back then I was doing cancer research um, that I started in high school, which was kind of an interesting opportunity. Um, And that continued all the way through my undergrad in, in biochemistry. And we were working with plant extracts back then and how they can uh, potentially get rid of cancer. And it worked so well that that also piqued an interest in more of the natural side of it. Well, if this plant extract has this capacity, then what else do I have no idea about? And so that really led me to end up at the naturopathic medicine. And um, the cancer piece just naturally kept falling into my lap. And it's I'm so glad that it did because it's just such a, it's become such a fulfilling career and just for my job to be able to give people hope and actually give them concrete tools that gives them a sense of control when you're going through one of the worst diagnoses you can possibly get. Um, it's been amazing to see the life-changing pieces that come from that. So that's kind of how it all, all began. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you sharing that story. And every time you and I have a top opportunity to talk about your practice, I can just feel how personal it is to you and these these individual stories of of patients. And I, I do appreciate and I wanted I want to really lay the landscape for people that when we're talking about this idea of of integrative oncology and and different I'm gonna say different sides of the fence, um really coming together for the benefit of, of patients, that that is actually what we're talking about. We are not talking about here is the one way of doing it. And then here is option two, which I think is what a lot of people think happens when we talk about, you know, naturopathic doctors working in the realm of uh, oncology and with cancer or integrative physicians working in this realm. They're like, oh, you're on the other side of the fence. And I, I feel like there's a huge opportunity for us to just be like, wait a second. One, maybe there's no fence at all. And two, there's an incredible way that we can start to blend these two systems of medicine. So with that said, can you share with everyone a little bit about uh, your idea of what integrative of oncology is and has the potential to be? Right. Well, I mean, right now, depending on where people live, I mean, most of the time, the integrative piece is something that's created with me as a naturopathic doctor and the oncologist working at the cancer clinic. And I mean, we're not under the same roof, but we can certainly work together. Um, And that's where I think there's a bit of an issue in the moment in terms of it just it's difficult when the conventional team isn't open and it does feel like there's that fence and I'm kind of feeling like I'm peeking over like can we still play together because I, I think I can really help here you know um, there's definitely a relationship to be had so in other places I mean there's the cancer treatment centers of America that's a whole different model and everybody you meet with your radiation oncologist your medical oncologist your naturopathic oncologist like it's a full a full team effort, um, that would be ideal to have, you know, everywhere, but we really don't have those everywhere. But it doesn't mean we can't create that relationship. 
um, it just kind of puts that a bit, you know, the patient's a bit in the middle in that sense, as sometimes having to create that relationship. Um, right. And I think that's where a lot of my patients too, just sort of, I mean, no one thinks about what they're going to do if they get cancer. Um, you don't really think about the nitty gritty like that. And you just kind of assume that if the diagnosis hits you, all of these options are going to be presented to you. Um, and they often aren't like in terms of going to a cancer clinic, the oncologists are, their job is chemo, their job is radiation, targeted therapies. It's not really naturopathic medicine. They didn't go to school for that. So right. for that to kind of come up as an option, usually it's the patient who would need to know that they might need to create that in- integrative team and, and put these people on their team as opposed to having it be offered to them. So it's um, a bit of extra work that I think in, in certain cities, it's that's kind of how it ends up having to be. Um, but yeah, certainly important for us to work together because again, when it comes to, to chemo radiation and conventional care, there's just so many pieces that we can optimize as naturopathic doctors. We can ensure safety um, when it comes to integrating the two worlds. Because one of my biggest pet peeves is that that us versus them is like, oh, well, you're doing conventional cancer care, so you absolutely can't do anything natural. And I mean, there are things that really shouldn't be done. There are things that maybe aren't super safe. And that's why we went to school for as long as we did to know those things, to know what is harmful to know what the research is because there's so much research to show that yes this actually could really impact a person's quality of life a person's outcomes their chance of remission their chance of preventing a recurrence there's a lot of ways that as in naturopathic medicine we can actually impact those those statistics so um, it's really just about blending the two worlds properly and um, and doing that safely Right. And, uh, you know, I want to talk and paint a picture for people of what it would be like to work with you. Like, what does that experience in a more granular way look like? Before we do that, you know, you talk about this idea of naturopathic medicine and and uh, traditional oncology coming together. I'll be the first to say I went to school for what felt like a million years. And if I had a patient come to me with cancer, I'm like, and I will refer you <laughs> as fast as possible because um I, I do not have the additional expertise to be able to manage those uh, those patients. And I, I actually really would love for you to comment on that additional piece because, um, I, I mean, I love naturopathic doctors. I love functional medicine practitioners. Just because you have that credential does not qualify you uh, to be working with these patients. And I think that's really important for people to understand is, is there is additional training that can be done and uh, this is this is a very important diagnosis, and it is really critical that people understand uh, the the credentialing and the breadth of knowledge uh, that a practitioner can have. And so, can you speak to that a little bit? Can you speak to you know what FABNO is and what some of these other designations are that uh, right. informed health consumers should know? Absolutely, yeah. I think in the world of naturopathic medicine, um, and there's different ways of getting that extra education. Um, I was lucky enough to have an an adjunctive cancer care shift at CCNM, where I went to school, Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, where we both went to school, and um, they that was a year long program. And depending on each school, they'll offer different programs for that education. But on top of that. There is um, a designation that kind of was born out of in the United States. We don't have like a Canadian equivalent yet. Um, but And one in people do have this designation. It's just not recognized in Ontario at the moment, um, but something that hopefully changes in the future. But at the, at the moment, the American um, credentialing is it's a FABNO 
of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology, so it stands for FABNO. Um, and so that usually represents that that person has gone above and beyond. They've learned everything there is to know in terms of treating um, cancer safely in the naturopathic context. Um, they've done, you know, they've spent hours working under other clinicians. They've they've done research. They've written articles. They've put in the majority of their practice at this point is oncology. Um, and they've often done sort of some sort of rounds in hospitals even as well as, as part of the um, criteria in some, in some cases. So that's definitely um, something that stands out in terms of the average naturopathic doctor, because we don't all have that level of training when it comes to cancer. And cancer is huge. I mean, just from breast cancer itself, stage one to stage four, totally two different beasts. And you need mm-hmm. to kind of put in that time when we're dealing with cancer to really know what you're dealing with. Um, and that's what kind of creates more reassurance with the conventional team right. uh, to know that you're dealing with someone who really knows what they're doing as opposed to what if they put them on something or herbs or something that's going to interact and actually take away from what we're giving them. And the whole point here is to work together, knowing that there's safety and knowing that there's trust. And so those extra pieces really help to foster that and create that for sure. What red flags should people look out for when they are exploring integrative uh, options with respect to cancer management? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely uh, there's a lot out there when we Google things right now. Um, I would say that that's one red flag I, I mean that stands out as soon as we talk about that for me is just even with patients and watching their journey, there's a lot of um, educating that people will do on their own. Um, online. And there's a lot of different programs out there and a lot of promises out there. And um, some of the stuff that I see is not necessarily uh, something that I I think they're kind of touting it as something that would potentially cure cancer and eradicate things in a way where you don't even need to do chemo or any of those things. And that's where red flags definitely go up because we can't necessarily promise um, cures ever. Like it's just something that you can't necessarily guarantee. And I mean, that's the dream to see that. And oh, I don't have to do chemo. So I'll just do this instead. But those types of things online where there's a lot of testimonials and things like that, um, those are tough to really, you know, be able to see if that's a legitimate thing or not. Um, And, you know, sometimes it can be easy to be opportunistic in those cases online. So those are definitely, definitely big red flags for sure. Um, And I I would say too, it's just, it's a tough world right now when you look online, because you could pick any topic in the context of cancer and look it up and you'll see 10 articles that are really in its favor and 10 that are totally the opposite. And as a person who maybe isn't a naturopathic doctor or has any experience in cancer, it's going to be really hard to pull apart what those things mean um, because that's the state of the internet right now is like everything we thought we knew is different in either a good or a bad way. It's, it's right. all changing based on stuff that's coming out all the time. And some of the research really isn't solid research that we can be basing conclusions off of. So some of right. the things that are being questioned these days are um, based on, you know, in vitro studies or animal studies that you can't really draw hardcore conclusions on. Um, so those are some other red flags I would say um, when you're, you know, dealing with certain people that are basing their decisions off of that type of research, it's, it's tough to know what kind of outcome we're going to have. For sure. So what is it like to work with you? Like, what does that experience, what, what is that experience yeah, in terms well, of, you know, the actual experience, but also like, what are, you, what are you doing in terms of communicating with their with their physician? How, how the heck do we have that conversation uh, with our physicians about other people that we might be working with? Take us through that. Absolutely. Well, definitely, I guess 
one um, example of kind of how the, in, the interaction can occur is, I guess, through a story with one of uh, one of my patients. Actually, she had stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, you know, as soon as you hear that, you kind of think, okay, that's that's serious. Like that's a definite uh, difficult diagnosis to be landed with. And so she, I think, when she had that initial conversation with her oncologist, there was just a lot of fear, a lot of digesting in terms of oh my God, I have cancer and and trying to process that. And so in working together, um, he put together a chemo protocol, which would be pretty typical, but she was still kind of choking on the information and wanted Mm -hmm. to know, oh my God, side effects. You know, she had preconceived notions of experiences other people in her life had gone through, going through chemo. So she wasn't, you know, comfortable. She wanted to learn more about it. And that was sort of taken the wrong way with the oncologist. And he almost became offended that she was asking um, so many questions about the side effects. And out somehow in that whole process, it was agreed that in kind of a harsh way that she probably wasn't going to make it. So do you even need to do chemo? And she came to my office and that I will never forget because typically when people come and work with me, there's excitement. There's usually, I cannot wait to just tell her everything I'm going through so we can figure out what she wants to do because she's got options and we've heard great things and can't wait to get started. That's usually the energy that people come in with is there's kind of at least some hope in terms of she's going to at least make me feel better. We don't know what we can do in terms of getting rid of the cancer. You can never have these you know huge promises, but in terms of the quality of life and yeah. changing outcomes, there's always something that can be done. And so for her, she was really different. She was really um, defeated. And I, when I actually asked, you know, what are your goals and what would you like to, you know, get started with? She said, I honestly don't know why I'm here. And when we went deeper, we uncovered that side of the story. And it was really heartbreaking because that's a perfect opportunity where if someone is terrified of how this chemo could go and side effects are their main concern, you know, that's a, that's a scenario where a lot of people would shut down our relationship and say, oh, no, no, you can't do anything else. You have to just do this. When it's done, then you can start. Right. And really what ended up happening was we had a discussion. I said, you know, your type of stage four is, is kind of like a mild form. If I would, if I would, if I could say that, um, in terms that she had a tumor on her pancreas and it just hopped over to her liver, but there was really basically two or three little tumors. They were not very large. It didn't spread anywhere past that. Um, in my opinion, that's, that's treatable. We can work with that, you know, and chemo is a big part of that. So she really should have done that. And in the end, she ended up doing it, but it wasn't, you know, because of her oncologist, they kind of just ended the relationship at that point. Um, so she ended up going back and doing it. We helped keep her healthy all the way through. She came uh, monthly at that point. And I'll never forget because she kept bringing a friend of hers that would kept coming with her to her appointments. And um, her friend one day brought her own blood work because we would always review the blood work, you know, every time, see how we're doing chemo to chemo. And a lot of what we're doing there is preventing red blood cells from crashing because that happens so commonly. There's a lot we can do on our side that's safe, that won't interfere, that helps to bring up quality of life, bring up energy. And I mean, it was clearly working with her because she was glowing by this point. She was halfway through her chemo and she was just doing amazing. And her friend actually kind of came and she's a little bit shy about it. And she kind of had her papers and said, hey, uh, do you mind looking at my blood work a little bit before we get started? Like, is that okay? So I'll oh, sure I'll take a look. And I started laughing and they both looked at each other confused. Like, why is she laughing at your blood work? <laughs> I just kind of said, you know what? I actually just had my blood work done too, not too long ago, like a week ago. And I'm just laughing because out of the three of us in this room, 
she's the healthiest, the patient. Like she's actually doing the best in terms of all of her blood work parameters. She's killing it. Like she's doing amazing. And so everybody just kind of laughed like, wow, like who would have thought at the beginning of her journey, she thought she was just doomed and she was ready to just throw in the towel and that's it. And here she is halfway through and she's all the concerns she had were really not that much of a concern. And so as we went forward, it turned out that by Christmas, like she was predicted to not be alive by that point. But by Christmas, they had no evidence of disease. There was no sign of the cancer anywhere. And at that point, we kind of, that's where we worked together, where we decided to kind of push for what if she gets a second opinion, like a referral to outside of our center and possibly look at other options. So, you know, at the beginning, radiation off the table, surgery, not an option when it's stage four like that. Chemo was kind of her only option at the time. And that's pretty typical. But because of how well she was doing and how, her quality of life was just unprecedented. Like people don't tend to actually be that healthy after you're hit with that much chemo by the end of your round. And she was, and the other oncologist she ended up meeting with um, at another hospital, he was so astounded by her. And he actually said, you know, I know you're clearly doing some other things here because you don't look like my typical patient. He said, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you just keep it up because this has clearly been helping you get this far. And that was three years ago and she's still stable and in remission and everything's been good. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty of what it is to work together. Um, So a lot of that is kind of coming from sussing out, you know, how open is an oncologist to working together? Because they aren't always open to that. But that's where, you know, what where we come into play is we can send letters, we can correspond with them and give them the research behind what we're doing. And, you know, sometimes that's still kind of met with resistance, but many times there's a conversation that they're open to having. And that's where I think all we're trying to do here is work together for the patient to make sure that they have the best outcome and they have all the tools and support that they need. So that's kind of one of my favorite stories to highlight because it really does show how the power of what can happen when we do work together. This is, I, I have this concept, maybe other people have this concept, but I have, I have named it gray leadership. And that's what happens when we have like the black and white camp of like, it has to be done this way. It has to be, we, we get so fixated on like staying what we could, people say it's like staying in my integrity and staying in my lane. I'm like, but what if we blend the colors together? Like, Always. Yeah. I don't, I just, I don't understand why this is the, the rarity, not the norm. Um, because you know, the story that you just shared, I know, I know you've got countless other stories uh, that are also similar in that, uh, in that capacity. We have this tremendous opportunity to start to increase the quality of people's lives as they move through cancer, which is not, you know, it, this is not a disease where I'll never get it. This is a disease where every one of us will be touched by it in some capacity and 50% of us are going to have this diagnosis in our lifetime. So this idea of like, what camp are you going to pick? I, I'm just like, I'm like a cake and eat it too kind of person. So like I'm, I'm with the gray camp. I'm with the gray camp in the middle because I really think that's what's actually driving quality of life for patients. That's right. How do we have that conversation with our medical team? Right. Well, that's where I would say it kind of, um, it can happen a couple different ways. So it can either happen where it's brought up with the patient. And sometimes I'm kind of coaching the patient along as to like, how do you have that conversation? What do you say? How do you bring it up? Um, You know, what happens if they totally shoot it down? Because sometimes they're not really open. And I mean, I'm always happy to converse with them and to write correspondence with them and keep them on the same page. And sometimes that's all that's required. I remember early on in my career, 
I had uh, one patient where the oncologist was not open to it at all, was very aggressively against it. And um, all it took was for me to correspond and just explain, you know, they had previously seen a different, another practitioner um, who maybe didn't have that experience with cancer, was kind of giving them all kinds of different things to help support, but they were actually going to interfere with the chemo. And so just hearing that, okay, well, this is what this patient was previously on. We've removed that. We're now going to do this because this will actually support the chemo that you're giving. And here are ways that we're going to support the side effects. And here's how they won't interfere because of these, you know, studies. That's kind of sometimes all a doctor needs to know, which is just know, oh, okay, you're not just, you know, someone who learned um, off the internet and like we actually have some education here. And this, right. It's just understood that it's uh, a lot safer. Um, and unfortunately, people just don't know. I know where I'm at. I'm the only one that does this. It's not something that's very popular. A lot of people don't know what a FABNO is. They don't know what that term means. They don't even know what naturopathic medicine is half the time. Right. Um, and if they do, it's it's often confused with things that aren't actually what we do. And so it's it does take time, I think, to build that relationship. But that's often kind of how we approach it and getting people on board and, and working together. And it, it does require the patient to play an active role. Like it's not a very passive process, um, both on just being active in terms of speaking up for yourself and, and engaging right. both sides of the teams, but also just being active in, in the actual healing. Um, because chemo is very passive. You just kind of go there, you give them your arm, they inject it, they use your port, and you just, you're in and, and you're out. With a lot of what we're doing, there's a lot more activity going on. So it's it's kind of helping people be more active in that role and leading on them on the right path of how to access right. what they need is, is the most key part. What's interesting, I did an interview a few weeks ago um, with Dr. Sheetal Dakaria, and she's a, an anesthesiologist and expert in functional medicine, chronic pain management. And our conversation there was very similar in that there is an opportunity of healing here where you can actually go deep and learn how to take control over what's happening with respect to your health and body. And one of the uh, fault is maybe a... a, a well, one of the faults I see with the traditional system is we actually don't give patients the opportunity to take ownership over their health. It is still, we will come in and do this for you, which perpetuates the cause of the problem in the first place, which was never acknowledging that what we do every single day actually has an influence on our on our health and, and body. And so I, I do love that this new, this new gray vertical where we're pulling together, it, it gives power back to patients and gives power back to people to understand that your actions can have an influence on health outcomes, whether you've been diagnosed with something or not. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's where I just see in terms of just when you break it down as to the benefit of what we can do together, sometimes it comes down to this person never had to skip a single chemo treatment. And when you have someone like that patient I mentioned, pancreatic cancer, you don't really want to give it opportunity to rest. So if I can keep their counts high enough the whole time where they don't actually require a break, that's the win right there. You know, yeah. sometimes when it's that serious, that's what we really need, you know, the opportunity to achieve. And it's so true like, at this point, you know, it is that one in every two people will get cancer in their lifetime. And, you know, the question is, it's, it's true. Like you said, it's not like what camp are you going to be part of? It's really the question should be, and that's the question we had for my mom early on, which I do talk about in the TED talk is that, it's not really about picking sides. It's about what can I be doing? What are all the things? I want all of the tools available to me. Right. But if I pick one camp, like I'm only going to get one camp's version. And there is more to the story. It's just that we do have to respect both sides and they have to be blended in a proper kind of way, I would say. But the other piece too that stands, I've kind of spoken a lot about 
what happens while treatment is happening. But there's a whole world of after because as much as I, I mean, I would argue in some ways we haven't advanced too much in terms of our cancer treatments in the conventional world, but there have been a lot of advancements and there are a lot of different specific types of cancers where people are surviving longer than they ever had in the past 20 years. And what that comes with are people who are now struggling and, and suffering with side effects that are because of the treatment. Yeah. And we're living in a world where it's kind of like, well, at least you survived. So you're kind of just live with it. But mm-hmm. no, it's that it can be better than that. There's so much that we can do in, in naturopathic medicine to support a person's body and allow them to feel better and actually thrive and optimal, which is kind of always the mandate with naturopathic medicine is let's not just kind of bare minimum live here. Let's get you thriving and being optimal. Um, and that's the same after treatment is done. I know another patient of mine, she had um, a triple negative breast cancer and she got it in her thirties. And I'll never forget because she came in when treatment was over. And one of the things she said was like, I'm 30 and I feel 80. And she said, if this is the rest of my life, like, I don't know like how much of it I really want to continue living. Like this is not a good place to be in right now. And we did the work we put in the time we looked at, we assessed everything thoroughly and we were able to pull her out of that after, I think it was about four months it took. And she, I remember when we looked at her blood work and reviewed everything. She was just glowing. She had so much more energy. And she said, you know, I, I know I said I felt 80. She said, right now, to be honest, I feel better today than before I even got cancer. Like I feel more healthy now than before this even hit me. And when I came to see you, that was not the expectation that I thought I I could even have. I didn't even set that as a goal when we first started talking, she said, because, and I always ask that, like, what are your actual goals? Because there's, you know, what the person anticipates. And then now I can kind of have a more foresight to say, well, that's a good goal for this moment, but we're going to kind of reach further than that potentially. And with her, that's what I had. I said, you know, I know this is what she feels like today, but I know that she can do better than this. And it's really, you got to think outside the box because when you have limited tools given to you on one camp, then you're really limited in what you can achieve when we look at that. So that's kind of the beauty of this practice is how do we merge the two worlds together? Um, Sometimes it's literal where we're actually working as a team. And sometimes it's just me on working with you and pairing it with what they're doing in a safe way to kind of give you better outcomes that way. Amazing. The work that you're doing is so incredible. It's touching so many people's lives. And I feel like this is a perfect place to transition our interview, because everyone's going to be like, how do I learn more about Megan? And I'm going to tell you guys in a second, but um, I want to throw at you something I call our KPIs or key performance indicators. So just like we have them in our business, I believe we have them in how we live our lives as well. So my first question for you, Dr. Megan, is this, um, is there an idea or a book or concept that you've been really like chewing on that's really kind of shifted your way of thinking over the course of the last year? Oh, I mean, yeah, in terms, in terms of books, I would say there's probably a couple of them. And when it comes to cancer, I think that um, Nisha Winter's book, like the metabolic um, kind of approach to cancer, that that book has been great, because there's so much happening in terms of metabolism. And there's two schools of thought when it comes to cancer, too. And the when we look at like the, the great, like the white, the black and white thinking in terms of cancer and being in the gray metabolic approach sort of lives in that gray too. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the theories that are conventional in mind, 
um, they always kind of look at everything outside of metabolic. So that's another big one I would say um, that has been, I've been kind of chewing on a lot lately just to kind of look at what the work she's been doing too and how powerful that can be. Um, that's, that's been, she's another naturopathic uh, oncologist in the, in the industry here. So <laughs> she's been great. Amazing. What is your favorite health hack? Oh, I mean, right now, I'm not really your favorite like, 10. You yeah. just get one, <laughs> maybe <laughs> two. <laughs> um, well, I've been kind of getting into the Peloton a lot this year. And um, I actually just re- I'm really like slow on this bandwagon here. But my um, Apple Watch, I finally got one of those. And I was really resistant at first. I didn't know how much I wanted to be plugged in. But um, I am loving that the uh, the fitness part of the Apple Watch can actually you just kind of wave your watch over the Peloton screen and it links all of your data, your heart rate, everything. You just literally what? just wave it and it's connected. What? And that's been just changing my mornings because I just, I'm really addicted to this. I didn't know that trick as I lift up my Apple Watch. Yeah, okay. It's really con- I think it's through Apple and it's just, it's a really neat feature because then it just keeps track of the, the numbers and and since we're talking about KPIs, it's kind of, I've been addicted to those in a big way with my workout. So <laughs> while we're KPIing it, yeah. how would you define your purpose? Well, definitely. I think in a, a big way, it's kind of what you said about living in the gray. I've always been like that. I don't know if that's just because I'm a Libra or what, what that is always kind of weighing the scales and kind of measuring both sides. But that, that is like a lot of what we talked about of just helping people navigate those two worlds and blend them together and it's, it's been something that's been a part of my life. Even since I was an undergrad, I literally studied, um, it's a Bachelor of Arts and Science because I couldn't separate the two. It had to be biochemistry. And in the arts, I chose psychology. Um, but that's that's always been part of my life. It's just you always have to, you can't ignore the, the two sides. There's got to be a way to bring them into harmony. And when it comes to cancer, that's my biggest mission. It's what I do every day is how do we put the two worlds together to right. give patients their best outcomes. Amazing. Last question for you. Entrepreneurship. Are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Oh, I mean, I would say definitely. It's black or white here. There's no gray. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hypocrite. I, I personally feel like there are some people that really just have it in them. Um, I know for myself, I've just always kind of had that piece in me. I don't think I learned really early on after graduating that I can't really work for anybody else and I need to be my own boss. It's just mm-hmm. always how I've been. And I recognized that early on that, yep, that was just never going to work out me working under anybody else. It's just, I have my ways of doing things and I know how I like it and it comes with what it comes with. And that's just me. And I recognize that there are other people who are just not built that way and they're just not, they just mm-hmm. don't want it. So yeah, I think I do. I do honestly, cause I'm always great. I do think people can learn, but there's just some people that are born to do that. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Megan Valero, always making everybody feel so welcome. Where can we send people to teach them uh, more about what it is that you are doing in this world? Yeah, so we've got um, our website for the clinic is uh, valerowellness.com. And then I'm on Instagram at Dr. Valero is just D-O-C-T-O-R, the whole word, not the the whole thing yeah the whole thing and uh yeah that's that's pretty much us uh we can we're on social media we've got our website and then i've got my my ted talk too that's um i've on on the site there as well 
Amazing. Well, we are going to link everybody up in our show notes with access to all of those elements, including your TED Talk. You can find those by heading over to meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. You'll see Dr. Valero front and center uh, with this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was an amazing and enlightening conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is the best. Always a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Such a good topic. I kind of, I've really actually liked this one-two punch of of talking uh, with Dr. Carrara about um, about integrative approaches to pain, and then talking to Dr. Valero about integrative approaches to uh, to cancer. These are things that are going to impact all of us. And you know, as as entrepreneurs and as people who have big missions and visions for what it is that we want to put into this world, the reason I'm so passionate about hanging at the intersection of these two pieces is because uh, we can't do the work we want to do in the world when our health isn't in the way. And when uh, when we don't have our body available to us at a moment's notice, and it doesn't mean we're never going to get sick, but if we do, we are we are purpose driven people who are like, what what is the opportunity that can come out of this? How can I mitigate uh, the the effects of traditional treatments? How can I have my cake and eat it too when it comes to dealing with what is probably going to be inevitable for all of us at some point in our life that there's some that there is some health piece that we have to manage either for ourselves or somebody that we love. So uh, I'm, I'm really so grateful that I have uh, this incredible network of individuals with such a, a talented array of expertise uh, with respect to health. And it's honestly such a privilege to share it, uh, to share it with all of you. Um, so if you liked, if you liked Dr. Valero and you're enjoying the podcast, please, like always, I would so appreciate your support. I would appreciate a review on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher, not all of them, the one where you're listening to this, it makes a huge difference in terms of us being able to reach more people and, you know, reaching more people and, and talking about uh, how we have impact uh, we've got some big, we've got some big things in the works. So um, I'm going to encourage all of you to, uh, like always, have an impactful week ahead and to join me next week because what I'm going to share with you next week uh, is a bit of a teaser and a bit of an overview in terms of uh, where we are heading with the Anthropology Podcast. We are 250 plus episodes into this uh, journey. I can't even imagine. I don't like, I don't even, I don't, I I have to compare how 250 episodes is in like people years and like marriage years. Cause I'm pretty sure this is like the biggest commitment I've ever taken on in my life. Um, and we're, we're about to take things, uh, to whole new levels. So I'm really excited to introduce you, uh, to what that is going to look like new year, new version of the anthropology podcast, some really exciting things, uh, coming up in 2022. So like always, have yourself an incredible week ahead. And next week, we'll be sharing with you all the juicy details. See you, hear you, talk to you then. 